You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. I'm going to try and get through my seven points, if I can. If I can. I got, looks like I've got a little more time in this one. I was under, under the pump in the, in the last one. So uh, the title of my message today is The Seven Love Languages of God. The Seven. Love languages of God. And the passages of Scripture that we're going to be looking at are all from Jesus hanging on the cross. How many people know that, you know, Jesus was declared to be God, you know, proclaimed that He was God, was the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. But kind of all your declarations can go out the window when you're nailed to a tree. When you're, when you're crucified, well, let's, let's see who you really are now. Because all of us can be on our best behavior on our best days. I found that the unfortunate thing about being human is that sometimes my worst days eclipse my best days. My worst moments take away what could have been my best moments. Well, here is Jesus. It doesn't get any worse. He's just been rejected. He's been betrayed by one of his closest. He's been thrown into a pit, falsely accused. Uh, They've put a crown of thorns on his head. They've beat him viciously. They've mocked him, clothed him in purple. They've torn the beard from his face. They've spat on him, mocked him. Then they scourged him. They whipped him till there was nothing left on his back. Then they force him to carry a cross uphill And then they lay him on that cross and they pierce both wrists with a nail. And then they put one leg on top of the other leg and they drive one nail through both legs into the wood. And then they lift it up and they drop it there. And now gravity takes its toll because the way that you die of crucifixion is you actually drown. You asphyxiate on the fluid that builds up in your lungs because... For you to exhale the carbon monoxide, you have to, you have to do a pull-up on the nails in your wrist, which is unbelievably painful, and use the, the nails in your feet for, for advantage to be able to exhale. And after a while, it becomes so tiresome that you can't exhale the oxygen and the, the carbon monoxide in your lung, and it begins to break down the inner lining of your lungs so that your lungs begin to fill with fluid. It's not a pleasant way to die. It was intentional. And let me just tell you something about the God that you and I serve. The Bible says, in the fullness of time, Christ came. Christ didn't come into the world when we did lethal injections. And it never ceases to amaze me that before they do the lethal injection, they sterilize the needle. In cases I'm killing you, you get an infection. I mean, I'm not sure why would you. But anyway, and uh, he, didn't, he, didn't come, he didn't come when it was death by electric chair. God, God stepped into the world when capital punishment was at its most brutal. Because he wanted to, God, the God that you and I serve is a God of contrast. He creates the blackness, earth formless, void, darkness. And then he says, let there be light. And in the, the most worst of humanity, the most 
to reveal the most diabolical, wicked form of cruelty and execution ever. That's when Christ steps into the world and demonstrates his own love. So Jesus is on the cross and he says seven things while he's on the cross. So the reason I'm zeroing on these seven things as the seven love languages is because many years ago I heard a, uh, a Bible college professor said, I like to get my students up on graduation day, line them up, and then I take a hammer and hit on the toe just to see what's really in there. I'm glad I didn't go to that college. I might have failed. But uh, when, you're, when you're nailed to a cross, let's see who you really are. So come with me, the seven languages. Now, you may say, well, hang on. We already know we got the book, The Five Love Languages. And let me tell you, it is a great book. It is a game-changing book. The whole premise of The Five Love Languages is for you to identify what are your wife's love languages and for your wife, vice versa, to try and discern your love languages. But, but here's, here, if I was honest with you, here's what they didn't tell you. This is what they did not disclose in that book. The, the, the whole thing is, hey, try and find your, you know, your wife's love languages and here are five to choose from. What they didn't tell you is that your wife will have all five. And they change like the wind. They change at any given time. Yesterday it was acts of, not anymore. Not anymore, it's acts of service. Today it's receiving gifts. And so you go out and buy a gift, but that's not what you want. You want a quality time. And, uh, and then you, you're doing the quality time, but you got it wrong, you jack wagon, because it was words of affirmation. And so I remember my wife was preaching and she was saying how uncomplicated boys are. I'm like, no, we're not. No, we're not. And she goes, there are five love languages, but boys are really simple. There's only two. I'm like, no, no, there's not. I'm going to do that. I'm changing them. She goes, here are the two. Touch him and tell him he's awesome. And I'm like, there are others? Uh, it's good to have a real church, isn't it? All right, so let's, let's go through these if we can. Oh, dear Jesus. Number one, number one, number one, number one. In Luke 23, 34, Luke 23, 34, the, the soldiers are gambling for Jesus' garment at the bottom of the cross. And Jesus, hanging on the cross, says, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. They do not know what they do. Number one, they weren't asking. Number two, they weren't deserving, and yet Jesus is forgiving. He didn't come all this way to be somebody different, to do something different on the cross. So can I say point number one is develop a good or a great forgivery. Develop a great forgivery. The key to a great marriage is to regularly forgive. Regularly forgive. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5, it says that love keeps no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. So if, if I'm acting in love, I'm not keeping a scoreboard of all the times my wife has failed me. How many times she's dropped the ball, how many mistakes she's made. Well, I remember back in May 17th, 2003, you did this. See, there's a price to forgiveness. Forgiveness comes with a price. 
Many years ago, I, I, I read this most, most profound and most beautiful statement that forgiveness is the flower that diffuses its fragrance on the boot that crushed it. Forgiveness is the flower that diffused its fragrance on the boot that crushed it. The price of forgiveness is forgetness. See, the Bible says that God forgives our sins and then remembers them no more. If I say to Leanne, hey, baby, I forgive you, but then I bring it up a week later, have I really forgiven her? Now, let me just, let me just kind of bring some teaching here. So we live in a culture that has moved away from God, away from God. When you move away from God, you never actually move into wisdom. You move away from it. So there's a lot of people, and the reason I need to explain this is because they think that forgiveness means permissiveness. Jesus did not elevate the soldiers to, you're going to sit at my right and you're going to sit at my left. Yeah. He didn't invite the soldiers into his posse. He forgave them. He forgave them. But he didn't, he didn't invite them into an inner circle. He forgave them. 100% he forgave them. If you're in an abusive relationship, or even Leanne and I, when, when, when we have stuff, when we have, and you know, there's regularly, I've stepped out of bounds. There's regularly, I've dropped the ball. There's regularly, I should have known better. I should have done better. I should have been better. So we, we have, we go out, we have conversation. I need you to understand that forgiveness is on the table. We are not leaving until there's forgiveness. But the f- forgiveness is predicated upon a level of repentance. So, so Liam will say, when you did that, I'm not sure whether it was intentional, but this is how it made me feel. And I'm like, oh, baby, I am so sorry that wasn't my intention. Forgiveness is there. Forgiveness is going to flow. But what she needs is reassurance that I, that I recognize, not just that I transgressed a boundary, but how did I transgress that boundary? And that I will endeavor to retrace my steps because that is, she's called it a violation. I accept that it's a violation. I accept that this is not behavior that is befitting of a loving, caring husband. And so I come into agreement. Forgiveness flows and reconciliation happens. If you're in an abusive relationship, forgiveness does not mean living with your abuser. Forgiveness does not mean continuing in the abuse. That's not forgiveness. Does that make sense? So so we are never more like God than when we forgive. And we never release the power of the enemy than when we hold back forgiveness and begin to hold grudges and begin to build bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment. Heroes of ours who were married for over 30 years all of a sudden divorced and it kind of really rocked Leanne and I because on the platform they were, they said all the right things. But for the last decade, for the last decade, the, the husband had stopped having conversations, stopped confronting, stopped having, he was traveling, saving the world, but wasn't dealing with issues at home. And what had happened was he started building up little grudges 
little resentments, little bitter judgments. But you need to understand whatever is growing in your heart is growing in your heart. And pretty soon those things went from bitter resentments to animosity, hostility, resentment, and then finally hate. He couldn't wait to divorce and all the devastation that it caused. That's why, that's why the Shunammite in the Song of Solomon, Song of Solomon is a book on marriage. She says to Solomon, hey, 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 let us catch the little foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vine. In other words, if we want to have a great vintage, if we want to have a great harvest of wine, then we've got to make sure that we catch the little foxes. You've got to have those conversations. You've got to have those things. Forgiveness is on the table. But there's a predicate. The price of forgiveness is forgetting. If I forgive Leanne or if she forgives me, then we know we, we, we've got a, a deal. Hey, I thought you forgave me. I did, but... Well, then obviously not. So let's have this conversation. Because nobody, none of us, none, none of us, what is so magnificent about God is that He keeps no record of wrongs. When you and I in Christ, when we stand before God, I am telling you, there is not a commandment that, that I probably haven't broken. And, uh, and if there, you know, I've probably made a few more up. You know, it's like, and, and yet when I stand before God, I'm walking into glory. I'm walking in like, man, I snuck in here. You know, it's like, but it's because of what Jesus, He forgives and He forgets. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, you can't get further. Now, I want you to notice he doesn't say as far as the north is from the south. Why does he say east and west? Because we can locate north. We have a north pole. And we can locate south. We have a south pole. They are limited. They, have, they are fixed locations. There is no east and west pole. There is no it's as far as the east, not the north from the south, as far as the east is from the west. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. How awesome is that? So if you're a recipient of that love, you ought to. All right, number two, number two. So uh, Luke 23, 42. Luke 23, 42, just a few verses down. Luke 23, 42. Uh, Jesus is crucified between two, two thieves, two criminals, and one's mocking him. The other one says to him, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says to him, I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. You'll be, so point number two is bless gratuitously always. Bless gratuitously always. This man can do nothing for Jesus. He's nailed to a cross. It's not like he can quickly go down and get baptized. It's not like he can quickly go down and do, do you know, like a missions trip to... Casa awaken in Tijuana. It's like it's not like he could get Jesus a latte. He can do, he's he's nailed. He can do nothing for Jesus, and yet he asked Jesus, and Jesus says, "All your sins washed out. Today you'll be with me in paradise." Can I just tell you that that marriage? If you want a great marriage, so love. The Bible says, for God so loved, he sowed love. While we were yet sinners, Christ died. Somebody had to break 
Somebody had to go first. Be the first to go first. Be the first to bless. Now, you and I live in a world where they will try and tell you, because they love to redefine kingdom things. They will try and tell you that marriage is a contract between two people. Well, nowhere in the Bible does it say marriage is a contract between two people. If I was to go into, into contract with uh, David Williams over here in business, then an attorney would draw up the contract that David is responsible for this, and then if he does this, then I'm responsible for this. And it's usually a 50-50 split if it's, if it's a fair contract. That if David provides these goods and services, well, then I will likewise, you know, respond in kind with his payments and everything. It's a contract. And a contract is 50-50. The problem, the problem is, the problem with a contract is that should David fail, should David withhold, then, then, well, well, then I'm going to withhold payment because you have contract. That's how most people enter marriage and they wonder why the marriage is a mess. But marriage isn't a contract, marriage is a covenant. Marriage is a covenant, and the covenant is different. Listen, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was making a covenant. He says, take this wine, this is the blood of the new covenant. He was making a new covenant. And the new covenant was that he was taking on all of our sin on, on himself on the cross, shedding his blood so that God would stay 100% true to you. God would stay 100% faithful to you and I in Christ despite our performance. Despite the fact that I was only 10% holy this week, despite that I was only 5% good this week, God remains 100% faithful to me because He's in a covenant. A covenant is not 50-50. A covenant is 100-100. When I stood at the altar and exchanged vows, it was for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. In other words, circumstances had nothing to do with it. Her performance had nothing to do with it. I was making a commitment that I was 100% involved because I'm telling you there are days I need to know that, that, that she is committed to me because this wasn't my best day. This wasn't my best performance. This isn't my best season. I, I may have been in a struggle. I may have been in a battle. I may have been in if she, if she has the, the, the ability to leave me on my worst day, then my God, then I'm going to be lying. I'm going to be deceiving. I'm going to be performing. The, the stress and the pressure. Thank God for a covenant. Thank God for a covenant that she doesn't always have to be on. See, the love that God loves us with is agape love and it's unconditional love. Unconditional means there's no conditions. And so Jesus has no strings attached. He just blesses. When was the last time you did just because? You blessed just because. It's not my birthday. It's not a special day. Why'd you bring me flowers? Just because. Tell her that you love her. Be kind. Be good. Just because. Number three. Always be a reconciler. Always be a reconciler. Jesus in John 19 uh, verse 26 and 27, he's hanging on the cross and he looks into the crowd and he sees his mama, he sees Mary. And then he looks across and he sees John the apostle, John the beloved. And he says to, to his mama Mary, he says, he says, mother, behold your son. And then he says, son, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. 
What's interesting about Jesus is if anybody has an, a reason right now to be distracted, it's, it's, it's not like he's saving the entire world. It's not like he's canceling out all the transgressions and the sins and our violations. again. It's not like his bloodshed is providing atonement before. It's not like he's destroying the works. I mean, Jesus, but even on the cross, watch what he's doing. He's reconciling relationships. He's like, mother, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. See, as Jesus, the, the, the firstborn and the eldest, it was his responsibility to look after Mary, they didn't have a social security or a welfare system. The welfare system was you have a son. That's why you'll read in the Bible, there's a widow and she didn't have a son, which meant that if her husband died, she would be begging in the streets because she had no way of providing. So, But a son would take mama into the house and mama is the responsibility of the eldest son. That's why you'll always see them in the Bible, the miracle of the widow with a son, the widow with a son. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly what happened, but somewhere around the beginning of Jesus' ministry, his papa Joseph dies. I believe it's right around the time where you see his mother, brothers and sisters come and he's in the house and they said, hey teacher, your mother, brother and sisters, they're waiting for you outside. They're calling you. They're saying you need to come. Maybe it was the devil took out Joseph to try and derail Jesus' ministry. And Jesus says, "Who, who is my mother? Who are my brothers and sisters? Whoever does the will of God, that's my mother. That, and it was incredible. And the Bible says his brothers, if you read the Gospel of John, could not speak peaceably to him. They hated him because they felt like he was an ab- abandoning the home, abandoning his responsibility. But here on the cross, here on the cross, with all the excuses, all the reasons, and this is not my bet, he is taking responsibility for family. For family. There is no greater battle than you can fight than for your family. God, marriage, family. It all flows. God created man and then woman for marriage and then to be fruitful, multiply family. God, marriage, family. Fighting for your family. My, my father and I have a relationship, not because of any intentionality on his behalf, but because Christ came into my heart and said, you could use planning a church in San Diego. You could use, I've got four kids of my own. You could use, man, don't you know how busy? You could use all of those things. But all of those things are excuses. And the word excuse is an invalid reason for a neglect of duty. What I need you to do is that I need you to look after your father. He has nobody else. He, he rejected his father because his father was a, a, an abusive alcoholic. And so he has animosity in his heart mama died 12 years ago and so he has nobody else to take care of him you take care of him does does he does did he show kindness did he no he abandoned me when I went to Bible college but I have no animus I have no hostility no resentment I just see a very very broken person and he was acting even when it comes to 2020 the way that we got through 2020 was you know quite often it would affect Leanne we lost relationships we uh, had to politely leave the C3 movement because we wouldn't back down from our beliefs. Many friends, people were saying some not so kind words about us. And it was really affecting Leanne one day. And she's like, how are you? How are you? And I said, oh, baby. I said, it's 2020. What a year. People aren't on their best. You're not going to see the best of people in 2020. Just give grace. Just forgive them. 
And I honestly have no, I have no animus whatsoever. And it's so freeing. Ah, oh, go to bed and I sleep and I have pleasant dreams. It's like, ah, oh, 2020, you're not going to see the best of anybody. So just love them. Just say, yeah, you know what? I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a grace card. Maybe you always be a reconciler. Number, number four, number four, stay the course. Number four, stay the course. Matthew 27, 46. Matthew 27, 46. Jesus is hanging on the cross and he cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When Jesus was hanging on the cross, the Bible says he didn't just take on our sin, he became sin. He became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But the moment that he became sin, he felt the separation. He felt the tear. He felt the rejection, the abandonment of the father as the father turned away. For 33 years, all he knew was the presence of his father. And now when he needed the father the most, he felt abandoned. He felt rejected. And he felt isolated and alone in the burden of saving you and I. But the Bible says that Jesus did that so that on the day you and I stand before God, the sins that would have separated us, the sins that would have had us rejected and dispelled from His presence were all placed on Christ. So on that day, when I stand before Him aware of all my sins, instead, I feel the arms of the Father embrace me. I feel His acceptance and His drawing near, knowing that I don't deserve it, but the, the Christ on the cross already paid the price. But Jesus on the cross doesn't come down from the cross. He says, do you not know that I could call? I could summon 10,000 angels and they would immediately rescue me. But He doesn't. He stays the course in the most darkest and difficult times. Can I just tell you, we don't do well with seasons. We have climate control. We can turn the air conditioning and cool in summer. We can turn the heating on in the winter. We like harvest, baby. We like harvest. I'm making bank, baby. Man, my business is... We, we like harvest. We like summer. Summer harvest in the Bible. We like spring. New things. Oh, something new. Something fresh. Something shiny. We like summer and we like spring. We don't like fall. We don't like the leaves falling from the tree and everything dying. We don't like winter. The Bible says the lazy man will not plow because of winter. He will beg during harvest and have nothing. Winter is where the ground is hardened because of the frost. It is cold. <coughs> Excuse me. The days are shorter. There's not as much sun. These days are darker days. These are difficult days. These are cold days. These are days where calluses form on your hands from trying to dig in the cold. It's not, it's not friendly. It's not a nice climate. And yet every year, God revisits us. We have a winter every year. He doesn't cancel winter every year. Winter turns up every year because I think until you go through a winter, you don't experience the spring. And then as you go through a spring, you realize, man, winter was good because some things needed to die so that things could be re recycled and reborn and renewed so there could be new life. My mother-in-law, the best advice she gave me, she said on my wedding day, she says, Jürgen, throw out the parachutes. Throw out the parachutes. I'm like, done. I don't have any parachutes. She goes, the D word. I'm like, of course, the D word. Do for, um, D, the, the D, the D word. Dumb. She goes, Divorce. I'm like, 
divorce. She goes, yeah, never use it. She goes, don't, don't, ever, don't ever bring it in the conversation. Now, I've been married, Dr. Matt, this year, 29 years. In 29 years, I've never used the D word. The little scamp that I'm married to? Multiple times. In fact, for the longest time, it was almost like her default. It's like, you know how people put an ace in their sleeve to cheat? It's like she's got an I'm like, where was that? That escalated quickly. It's like, there it is there. I'm like, I just forgot to get milk. You know, no, that wasn't that bad. But anyway, and I can be so brave because she's not here right now. But <laughs> a few years ago, Dr. Matt and beautiful Michaela, who are just legends, said, hey, we're going to go wine tasting in Napa. We're going to go wine tasting in Napa. I'm thought, flip, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. What a great way to spend an afternoon. Let's go wine tasting. And then I look and it's three days. And I said, hey, babe, what's like, did, she goes, no, we're going to go wine tasting for three days. I'm like, for three days? Like it's, what? how hard can it be? This one is red. It is a red wine. Mmm, it tastes reddish. Oh, this one? This one is a white wine. Notice the colorization difference. Yes, yes, I know. When I hold them up to the light, yes, this one is definitely a white wine, and this one is definitely a red wine. They say to smell it because of the bouquet. Oh, I'm glad I smelled it because now it enhanced the tasting. Yes, yes, I'm bluffing, but I'm pretending. Oh, yes, the bouquet. Oh, it, the tannins, the tannins in there. I'm like, I could, in five minutes, I'm done. That's a red wine, and that's a white wine. The red one tasted very reddish. The white one was quite whitish in its taste. I'm thinking, that's it. So stupid is as stupid does, Forrest Gump. I organize a whole afternoon of, you know, I'm going to meet some other pastors. I'm like, three, I can't do this for three days. Like, I'm done in five minutes. I've read and I've figured it out. It's easy. But then we get up there and there's like all these picnic table areas and we're, they're ordering charcuterie boards with salamis and cheeses and breads and, and they're sitting down and the sun's setting. You're looking over these gorgeous vineyards and everything is just beautiful. And we're sitting down and we're eating good food and drinking different glasses of wines and tastes and samples and conversation and relax. You have to be anywhere. And I'm like, I am the biggest moron. I've organized to be. So we started going once a year, every year, because I thought, well, Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine. Hello. And so 2019, we're up there, and this time they'd organized a little bit of a different trip. And instead of instead of going to you know Camus and Hall and you know the big you know uh, Stags Leap, you know the big ones, we we're off the beaten track. We're in these no-name places. I'm like, oh, here we go. Someone's in trouble now. They've booked us these no-name little no. And I'm telling you, and these were like privately owned vineyards, and all of the people that owned the vineyards were multi-millionaires multi-millionaires. One of them was owned by the guy that invented the floppy disk. 
used to work at, you know, Macintosh and uh, invented. And so he was a multimillionaire and he had a wine and he named the Chardonnay after his wife, Barbara. They'd been married like 61 years. And we go to another place and there was a, another vineyard, again, privately owned by, again, a multimillionaire. It's private. This was one of like 12 estates that he owns. And, and he'd named one of the, the wines after his wife and another one after his daughter. And, uh, and they'd been married like, you know, 50 something years. And then we go to the third one. We're in the third one. And, this, and it was like a James Bond movie. There was just a hill. And then the, he, they literally built this, like this tasting room in a mountain. You walk in and I'm expecting, you know, I'm expecting to go. And this is where our laser, we have a laser pointed at the moon. Unless you give me $1 billion, we'll be blowing up the moon. That's what I'm expecting. Like it was this underground cavern and it was like there were barrels everywhere and we're sitting at this table. And, and uh, anyway, it was 2019. And, and, uh, and the guy says, you know, the, the wines that we've tasted so far, you know, uh, the 211, 212, 213, we haven't tasted the 214. I got it wrong in the first one. The 214, I'm like, like, why wouldn't you? It's 219. Hello. You might want to talk to production. A little slow. Somebody needs to light a fire under them. I could get Dr. Matt to come up and light them up. Do a, he could do a goal-setting seminar. You'd start getting the... Anyway, but what he said was what he said was the reason that they hadn't tasted the 214, it wasn't available for the tasting yet in 219, is because it takes five years to produce a wine. I'm like, well, what? He goes, yeah, yeah. He says it's got to sit in the barrel. And then we put it in the bottle. And he says, the whole process, you can't rush. It takes five years. So then Becky Lynn Heinrichs leans forward. She goes, Pastor, Pastor, the owner of this vineyard's been married 47 years. The owner of the other one was married 50-something years. The owner of the other one was 61 years. She says, why do vineyard owners stay married so long? They're all millionaires. And most millionaires kind of, you know, can trade in and out. Like, why do they, why do they? And so in my head, I wanted to say, how would I know? But thank God for the Holy Ghost because He always makes you look smarter. That's why He's a helper. Because He's like, y'all need some help. Let me help. And so anyway, He helps me all the time. And so the Holy Spirit told me why. And what we just found out was that the 213 wine was literally double the price of all the other ones. Because in 213, a fire went through Napa Valley destroyed so many of the vineyards, so many of the crops. The ones that survived and produced grapes produced grapes that were that were literally fireproof, that were literally at such a high level because of the fire that they experienced. These ones were potent grapes. It says not only that, but if you remember, the reason the fires came was because of the severe drought and the heat. It was a heat wave that summer. And in the heat, the, the roots have to go even deeper and it causes incredible stress on the branches, causes stress on the vines. But that stress causes the, the, the flavor to multiply. He says, but if you remember 2.13, he says, the winter was brutal. We had some of the severest frosts. And he says, and in the frost, it kills the grapes. And the only grapes that survive are the grapes that grow a thicker skin. He says, but that thicker skin, when we put them in the barrel and begin to crush them, he says, the, the, the flavor and the richness of the wine. And so Becky says, why would this guy 61 years, this guy 50-something years, this guy 47 years, why, why, why would they be married so long? And then the word of the Lord came to me at the vineyard. And I said, oh my gosh, Becky, 
Because most people, they say, hey, we're filing for divorce because of a drought in our marriage. We're filing for divorce because fires have ravaged everything. There's no, nothing left. We're getting divorced because she was frosty. She was, he was frosty and cold. But not, not, to, not to a vineyard owner. To a vineyard owner? He's like, man, I'd be a fool. I'd be an absolute, because he knows that the severest trials, the deepest winter, the greatest stress and distress will cause that vintage. A vineyard owner says, why would I divorce her and let somebody else in four or five years drink the vintage of the drought that happened five years ago? See, a vineyard owner knows. Oh my gosh, if we went through this kind of hell, Jesus was abandoned by Abba Father on Friday, but Abba Father was waiting Sunday to awaken him and bring him up out of the grave. Jesus knew, hey, I may be going through abandon on Friday, but Sunday's coming. And today may be a difficult day, but if I stay the course, there's a vintage. If I stay the course, there's a resurrection. If I stay the course, there's new life. If I stay the course, the greatest days are in front of me, not behind me. Stay the course. Stay the course. Stay the course. Stay the course. I'm a... I only got through four again and I had more time. Can I do number five? All right. John 19, 28. John 19, 28. The Bible says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished. Everyone say all things. Now, how many people know when it says all things, it means all things? Jesus came to fulfill all the prophecies, all the, all, everything that was written. Jesus, when He realized, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. So he's fulfilled all the Scripture and all things were now accomplished. Watch what Jesus does. He says, I thirst. This is mind-blowing to me. The guy who, yeah, I did. Just fulfilled it. The God who needs nothing the God who created everything on the cross says I'm thirsty what this is how I know he is the true God he is so secure he can be vulnerable he can be transparent and honest He's just saved you and I from a lost eternity. And it's like, I'm thirsty. The Bible says immediately somebody went and and took a sponge and put it in sour wine and brought it to him and he drank. The key to a great marriage, vulnerability, transparency, honesty. See, the world gives us pornography. Pornography is the acts of intimacy without any intimacy. 
And it's so unfulfilling. It's so unrewarding. It's so destructive. True intimacy comes from these three things. It comes from I thirst, from me being vulnerable, me being transparent, and me being honest. Because intimacy means into me see. And you can't do that like this. And you can't do that behind your macho, behind your image, behind your... The price of intimacy is vulnerability. The price of intimacy is transparency. But what if she doesn't like what she sees? Jesus says, whosoever believes in me will not perish but have everlasting life. And he's on the cross saying, I'm thirsty. I thought you were the God that can provide all things. I thought you were the God that was going to. And he's like, hey, I'm, I'm thirsty up here. He can be so vulnerable, so transparent. The key to a great marriage and the key, honestly, to a great relationship is me being able to be honest with Leanne. Her being able to be honest with me. Not holding anything back, not making excuses, not lying, not deceiving. The worst thing you can do in, in, in a relationship is so fortify yourself. I don't need anybody. There are so many people, they, they, they have such shallow relationship, even though they're in the covenant of marriage because they fortify themselves because maybe they were abused, maybe they were hurt, and they've said, I will never trust again. I will never be vulnerable again. I'll never be open again. I'll never be transparent again. But you're robbing. Let Jesus come in and heal. Build a relationship. The greatest, the greatest, I'm telling you, the greatest joy in my life is that the person who sees me the most still loves me. Blows my mind. You see me on my best days. You see me when I'm up here under the anointing. The anointing always makes people look good. Always makes people look better than they are. Somebody sees you at your worst and still loves you. In Genesis, God reaches into Adam's side and pulls out a rib and he creates the woman. And God said, I'm going to create her because you need companionship. It's not good to be alone. But because she was physically removed from Adam, man's longing is for physical connection, sex, where the two become one. That's, that's his drive. That's his longing. But Eve's drive, the woman's drive is very different. Her drive isn't sex. Her drive is companionship. Her drive is words. Her drive is relationship, conversation is very different. And the reason God puts this together, He puts it together like that, is because He wants you to have the very, very best. I found that the kinder that I am to my bride, I find that the more attentive I am in conversation, the more I inquire about her day or after a busy day, and she wants to know, what happened at work today? And I'm like, same as every other day. And whoa, what was exciting that happened? 
car broke down on the freeway. And I'm like, dear woman, leave me alone. And then I realized, oh, if she leaves me alone, I'll be left alone. And then I realize she wants conversation. And here's a, here's, a, here's a clue. I think, you know, Dr. Matt did three services and then a wedding and then came home and says he had no more conversation in him. I found asked questions. How was your day? And then I go, how does that make you feel? Really? And they said, what? How did that make you feel? Babe, you're amazing. And uh, you understand, you get me. And because you get me, you get me. And tonight is the night we make love the whole night the road. That, that may not happen. That may not happen. Sorry. <laughs> I got carried away. Uh, anyway, we are way over time. They're doing this on the front row. I'm in big trouble. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads? <laughs> Just turn your palms towards it. Come on, how many people thank God for a real church? Come on, come on. I'm going to have to finish those other two points. The other two are brilliant. I'll do it another time. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for Christ. And let me just say this. Let me say this. That maybe, maybe you come to church because you're religious. And that's, that's a noble thing. That's a noble thing. There are so many great qualities in religion. But I've got to tell you, the Bible offers something far greater. And that is to be born again. Born again is when you allow the seed of God's Word to be planted in the soil of your heart. And what it'll do, it'll produce Christ inside of you. You'll find you'll have dual natures. i got to be honest. My defaults, my bents, my biases would sabotage and ruin my relationships. But thank God there's Christ on the inside of me. And you feed that nature by coming to church, worship the Word. Paul says, I die daily. I die daily to my flesh, to the Christ. He says, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross by whom the world has been crucified to me, not to the world. If you're here today and you've never surrendered to Christ, friend, today's your day. Maybe you're religious, but you've never said, Jesus, I want you to be in my heart. I want your nature produced in my life. There are 7.6 billion people on the planet and God's intention is for there to be 7.6 billion flavors of Jesus, His Son. Friend, if you've maybe once walked with Christ, but you're away, come back. If you just, man, I just, I struggled. I turned to drugs. I turned to alcohol. I turned to all the wrong things in 2020 to cope. Friend, not only does Jesus forgive you, He's saying, hey, there's a better way. Plant me in your heart and let my nature grow. Let, let the Christ nature, greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. The nature that grows in you overcomes the world. It conquers everything. They nailed him to a cross and he's forgiving Roman soldiers who don't deserve forgiveness. He's blessing people who can't do anything for him. 
On the cross, he's restoring relationships. On the cross, he's staying the course. On the cross, he's, because he's greater. If that's you today, you've never given your life to Christ. You once did and you're away. You're just far. Would you, while every head is bowed, every eye closed, just lift a hand. I'm going to say a prayer for you and I'm going to pray for you. Thank you. Who else is there? Just lift it up high so that I can see right across this place. Thank you. Who else is there? Thank you. Who else is there? Just say, hey, pastor, that's me. Who else is there? Thank you through there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Who else is there? Would you raise your hand? Thank you through there. Thank you. Who else is there? Saying, pastor, I'm away from God. I need God. Thank you. 2020 wasn't my best year and I need a new start. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Man, my marriage is a mess. My relationships are a mess. I need thank you. Anybody else? Thank you through there. I see that hand. Thank you through there. Who else is there? I am out of time and I need to pray. Thank you through there, sir. Thank you. Thank you through there. Is there one more? Thank you, darling. I see your hand. Is there one more? Is there one more? Thank you through there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I see those hands. Anybody else? Thank you, darling. You can put it down now. Thank you. Thank you. So many hands went up. Let's just keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed. And I want to lead you in a prayer. And when I'm done, I'm going to hand back to Dr. Matt. He's going to dismiss. And there's a handsome young man down here with a t- I want to buy t-shirts like that that have got the bumps in the right place. Oh, mine have got the bumps in the wrong place. I want one of those. But he's going to give you a couple of gifts. He's going to give you a Bible and a following Jesus book. But while our heads are bowed and our eyes closed, let's all say these words out loud. Say, Heavenly Father, I want to thank you today. You so love me, you sent Jesus on a rescue mission to die on the cross to take away all my sin. Thank you. Because of your sacrifice, I'm forgiven. I'm accepted by God. Today, I am clean. All my sin washed away. I am a child of God. Heaven is my home. God is my Father. And I'm His son, daughter, servant from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.